it's Jared. So I've been a Laker fan almost my entire life. And during the Kobe and Pau Gasol era, just at the end of the 2000s, when they were winning championships, it was an amazing time to be a Laker fan. And after Kobe Bryant's recent death, it really forced me to reflect on kind of the impact that Kobe had on the game. And for those of you who are not as much into sports, you still probably saw how much Kobe Bryant meant to a lot of younger Laker fans or Laker fans my age who saw him as their star, right? Magic Johnson, the star of the 80s, Kobe, the star of the 2000s. And one thing that came up when I was reflecting on the legacy of Kobe Bryant was spreading the game across the world. And specifically, Kobe Bryant's traveling to China and bringing the NBA to China. And now China is the largest market for NBA games, not America. And yes, that was a coordinated effort from the league as a whole, but it really saw Kobe Bryant become a star in China. While I thought that was a unique kind of marketing strategy of the NBA, this is not. This is actually a tool that's been used throughout America as a way of furthering its goals abroad. The idea that sports can bring two seemingly diametrically opposed countries together is nothing new. In fact, it's called sports diplomacy. So we'll be spending the entirety of our episode today talking with a friend of mine, Jad Sukar, about sports diplomacy and about how sports can be used to further political goals, right? Because I've been a massive fan of sports and obviously I'm a big political nerd, but the two coming together did not really seem like a cohesive strategy to me at first. But as you'll see in the episode, Jad does a really good job of laying out just how effective sports can be as a political tool. So if you're interested in sports, interested in international relations, a fan of Kobe Bryant even, uh, stay tuned for the show and I think you'll find something really interesting. Hey, Jed. Hey, what's up, Jared? How are you? I'm very good. How about you? Good. Thanks for coming on. So sports diplomacy, just by its name, sounds really interesting and something that I think is maybe not usually included in like a political sphere. So could you just define what is sports diplomacy and maybe some like key examples that can help explain it? So essentially, sports diplomacy is a tool used by countries around the world to improve relationships between the U.S. government and other people around the world. And when I talk about sports diplomacy, I usually like to touch upon a very specific department in the State Department. It's called the Department of Sports Diplomacy. And essentially, its purpose is very simple. They just send American athletes abroad to all sorts of places, you know, from Kazakhstan to Cuba. And by doing that, they help foster better relationships between the people of a specific country and the US government and improve the way that those people see the US government and perceive the US government. So it's a form of soft power in a way where the US government tries to build cultural ties that kind of underlie political ties. That's exactly what it is because essentially what the US government has been trying to do for a very long time is something called top-down diplomacy where they target leaders of countries so that they could improve relationships from there. But over time, especially when you're dealing with countries like Syria and Iraq with very unstable leadership and political figures, it's better to take a completely different approach. And that approach is called bottom-up diplomacy, where you go to the people directly 
and try to improve relationships from there. And that's basically what sports diplomacy does. It allows the U.S. government to reach out to people and make sure that they have a better perception of the U.S. government. And that eventually trickles up into traditional political power in that country. Interesting. So I, I definitely agree with you on the bottom-up diplomacy model, especially with countries that, as you said, have some unstable leadership. But if you could detail exactly why maybe sending, you know, an NBA phenomenon, how is that an effective strategy at communicating long-term diplomatic goals, right? Maybe in the interim, it like builds up basketball popularity per se, but how does bottom-up diplomacy there work? Sure. So essentially in almost any country, if the United States, let's say, approaches Cuba and wants to figure out a trade agreement or sign a new treaty, usually the people in that country have to support what their government is doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, especially in places like Lebanon and Iraq and Afghanistan, the people don't like the United States. So they usually don't support their country going into any negotiations with America. So in order to solve that underlying problem, it's very important to send American athletes to those countries so that people will end up liking the United States a little bit better. And it sounds a little crazy. And a lot of people doubted the program. But in 2013, the State Department decided to conduct a study just to see how effective sports diplomacy was. And they found that about 87% of participants who were in sports diplomacy programs abroad ended up coming out of the program with a better perception of American culture and American government. Considering that those types of programs are in countries like Afghanistan and Iraq, some of the most anti-American places in the world. Yeah. You know, it's reasonable to say that these programs are effective because they don't focus on politics. They focus on our humanity. They focus on bringing us together in a mm. completely different way. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the idea of soft power in itself is just improve the general image and public support will, you know, hopefully follow behind. So uh, when I was doing a little bit of my own research into sports diplomacy, I saw that it was a little bit broader, right? It also included things like the Olympics, as you said, sending envoys and other things. And a, a lot of people have critiqued it um, for heightening nationalism, if anything, specifically in like Olympic spheres and things like that. So I guess the first question would be, would you support achieving diplomatic goals through something like the Olympics? Or would you say strictly focus on envoys? See, I don't like the Olympics. I think you're absolutely mm. right. They definitely do foster nationalistic attitudes. I mean, you could just look throughout history. Throughout history, countries have used the Olympics as a kind of tool to poke fun at other countries and make a point. Like when the United States didn't attend the Berlin Olympics or when the Soviet Union didn't attend Olympics, which were held in the U.S., usually when there's that type of action involved, it doesn't make for a very healthy environment to foster better relationships. So the Olympics isn't usually the best way to go. And yeah, definitely focus a lot more on envoy programs that are much more friendly. Yeah, I mean, I think you focused on kind of a, an important niche there. And then one point that I guess maybe, I don't know if you would entirely be able to, to answer this, but how do the athletes themselves feel about being caught up in this? Because I imagine like if I was an athlete, I'd be like, okay, I'm kind of being forced as like this political negotiator here, or even not a negotiator, just a pawn in a political scheme. So do most athletes themselves support this or are they kind of just forced into it? So when it comes to whether athletes like to participate in these programs, they usually don't view it within a lens of soft power and international relations and this huge 
a chess game that's played on the international stage, usually what the sports diplomacy department does is they offer certain programs that focus on either female empowerment in you know, Middle Eastern countries or leadership in countries like Cuba or Brazil. And when athletes look at the programs through that lens, through the lens of helping people who are probably not in the best situation compared to where kids are in the United States, they definitely do enjoy going to those countries and making sure that they also have a head start and an advantage in leadership training and female empowerment and all those other things, which here in the United States, we take for granted. So it's kind of masked under, oh, here's just like a charitable good rather than like an instrument of U.S. policymaking. So I definitely think that sports diplomacy is like a double-edged sword. It definitely has two different impacts, two very different impacts. But, you know, whatever way you cut it, it's doing good. And it doesn't matter which lens you view it in, especially for the athletes who are participating in the program, as long as they're helping someone, that's all that really matters. And if there is this broader international impact that comes out of sports diplomacy, then that's just an additional benefit. Is there one example that you could kind of provide as a model that maybe the U.S. should base its further sports diplomacy on? Like, is there one key case that was like, wow, this is how sports diplomacy has worked? So, yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of examples throughout history, but probably the most famous one was when the United States sent a ping pong team to communist China in the 70s. And through those ping pong games, we were eventually able to open up talks between the Nixon administration and Mao, which eventually led to that period of time called detente, where the Cold War and the fears that came with it kind of subdued. Now that's, you know, in the 70s, probably more modern example would be when the United States hosted its first ever basketball game in North Korea. And through those friendly uh, basketball games and through those friendly athletic activities, which Kim Jong-un actually attended, we were able to basically kickstart a second round of negotiations between the United States and North Korea. And, you know, it might seem just a little bit weird to think that just a basketball game or a ping pong game can, you know, so drastically change the course of history. But through those friendly activities, which usually world leaders do attend, especially when they're played on this big scale, like the ping pong games in China, they really do have this monumental impact. Yeah, I feel like that ping pong example you provided is is really interesting uh, in specific because it kind of gets at a, a point in history, I would say during the Cold War, where it was so dichotomous and divided in the world that you like people tried every sort of diplomatic negotiation and it was very, you know, cat and mouse. But like something like that broke the ice, which I think was really interesting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at points like that, politics don't work. You know, regular diplomacy doesn't work. So it's important to have other tools at your disposal, like sports diplomacy. There's even a program called Jazz Diplomacy, which the State Department just started about 20 years ago. So there's just all sorts of different things you can do. And then I guess the final question I'll kind of leave with here is going forward, how should the U.S. alter its sports diplomacy for a changing, more globalized world? So essentially right now, the sports diplomacy department only has five employees and they only receive funding of about $5 million. And that's like 0.00001% of 
of the State Department's budget. Honestly, we should be doing better. We should be providing sports diplomacy and the sports diplomacy department with far more funding. And when I say far more funding, all I mean is an additional $3 million to $5 million. That would basically double sports diplomacy's outreach and their ability to send athletes around the world. And when you look at it through a lens of just $5 million, that's basically like selling a single tank that the United mm. States Army has. It's really nothing. And if anything, it's, I mean, it's a sacrifice worth making. I guess like the natural extension of that would be that they could end up doing more in reaching more countries that, as you stated, there's a lot of anti-American sentiment around the world. So there's a lot of places, I guess, that could see benefiting from sports diplomacy. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, Pew Research did a study earlier in 2019 And they found that over 50% of countries hold a negative perception of the U.S. government. Mm. And that might be a response to Trump's administration, but it's honestly a result of longstanding tensions around the world. And those are something that have to be addressed or else the United States' soft power just will continue to decrease. Yeah. And that has, I guess, ripple effects that we'll never know. Exactly. Anyway, Jad, thank you so much for coming on and enlightening us about sports diplomacy, which I think might intrigue a lot of people who say, oh, this is maybe not something that I usually associate with politics or diplomacy or things like that. No, thanks for having me, Jared. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please give us a follow on Instagram at Contested Politics, visit our website at contestedpolitics.com, or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. I want to extend a big thank you to Jad Sukar for coming onto the show. And until next time, which will be Mondays from now on, thank you for helping us understand politics together.